You are about to listen to Guard Your Tongue, a practical, engaging guide to the laws of Shmiras Halashon. This is a Shmooze production. All of the Shmoozin, as well as all the series that deal with real-life issues, are available on theshmooze.com. At theshmooze.com, you can download or listen live. All of the Shmoozin are available free of charge. Please visit us at www.theshmuz.com. That's theshmooze.com. For the first 400 years that the Jewish people lived in Eretz Yisrael, we were ruled over by Shoftim. The form of government was a lot less structured than we think of it in terms of now. A Shofet was a judge, a tremendous Talmud Chacham, and it was his role to be the one to determine halachas, to paskin shailas, and certainly to adjudicate various dinim. And the Jewish people, while they were on a certain madrega, very high madrega, were able to be ruled by Shoftim. After these 400 years, it became obvious that more was needed, and the classical asked for Melech, and Hashem tells Shmuel Hanavi to appoint Shaul to be the Melech. And in fact, the very first king of Yisrael was Shaul. <clears throat> Shaul was a tremendous tzaddik. He was a Navi and a very righteous king. He <clears throat> waged war against the Plishtim. <clears throat> For many years, the Plishtim had been a tremendous problem <clears throat> for the Jewish people. Shaul <clears throat> organized the government, organized the armies, and <clears throat> the nature of the Klai Yisrael took a different point. In any case, at a certain point in the wars, there's a giant, the Navi tells us, this powerful, powerful man, Goliad, who comes out to the Jewish ranks and says, why should we wage a war with so many soldiers? Let me represent the Plishtim, send one Jewish soldier to represent you, and the winner will be the victorious one, the loser will all be slaves to the winner. And this was Goliad's challenge to the Giborim, to the brave Jewish soldiers. Every day he would walk out in front of the Jewish lines, every day he would make the challenge, and not a single gibor, not a single brave warrior of the Jewish people took him up on the challenge. Make no mistake, there were many, many powerful and brave soldiers, many people who felt the kina Laman Hashem, it was an embarrassment to the Jewish people, an embarrassment to Shaul, certainly an embarrassment to Hashem, but the reality was that this Golia was huge, beyond any normal physical capacity, he was a giant, and to fight him in hand-to-hand combat was considered obviously ridiculous, and not a single Jewish soldier would take him up on the challenge. In the end, David was not a soldier. David was known to Shaul, and David came to Shaul and says, I want to take up the challenge. The reason why David wanted the challenge was because he felt it was such an abomination Here was this man mocking Hashem's people, mocking the holy nation, and he felt such an horrible pain because of the embarrassment to the name of Hashem. And therefore, he went to Shaul and said, I want to fight Goliad. In fact, he fought Goliad, and with a nace, he won. At that point, the esteem that the Jewish nation viewed David with rose to unparalleled proportions. He had just saved the Jewish people, saved the name, and people began speaking very highly of him. They began singing songs about him. Shaul will kill a thousand, David kills tens of thousands. And at a certain point, Shaul's view of David changed radically. 
David was a person who ate regularly at the king's table. As a matter of fact, David married the king's daughter. But at a certain point, Shaul turned, looked at David and viewed him as an enemy. And at a certain point, Shaul tried to kill David. And when David escaped, David didn't know whether he'd be murdered by the king or not. And he asked his closest, dearest friend, Yonatan, who was the son of the king, to listen in. Find out if the king really is with me or against me. And through a various subterfuge, Yonatan brought the message to David, My father, Shaolah Melech, is out to kill you. Escape. And David runs away. He runs away, but he's without food, without anything to accompany him. He runs to a city called Nov Irakonim. In those days, the Konim had their own city, and this was a very pious, very holy place. These were the holiest Jews. These were all Konim dedicated to Avodah Hashem. They saw the king's son-in-law, David, come, and they right away offered him food, offered him lodging, and in fact, they gave him Goliath's sword. They had Goliath's sword, and they sent David on his way, well-equipped to go about his business. A little while later, there's a man called Doeg HaAdomi. Now, the Gemara Yerushalmi describes Doeg. Adam Gadol Batorah. Doeg was a tremendous Talmud Chacham, a very great person in Torah study. One day, Doeg is in the base Medrash, and people in that base Medrash ask David a Shaila in Halacha. What is the particular Halacha in this case? And David told him the Halacha. And Doeg heard that someone in front of him in his proximity poskined and he asked, who is it who dares paskin in front of me? And he said it was Ben Yishai, it was David. At that point, Doeg was extraordinarily jealous, angry, furious. His honor was affronted, and he seeked, he sought revenge against David. He went to Shaul. Doeg comes to Shaul and says, Adoni HaMelech, my master, the king, I want you to know that when David was running away from you, he was running with help and he was running with friends. He ran to Achimelech ben Achitov. He ran to the city of Nov, the city of Konim. And Achimelech greeted him warmly. The city of Nov gave him a place to, to stay. They gave him food. They gave him Goliath sword. All of these words, Doeg told Shaul. And Shaul quickly realized that David had people helping him. And David had people abetting him. And Shaul right away sent for this Achimelech ben Achitov, who was a Kohen, who was a great tzaddik. And Shaul says to this Achimelech, Tell me, why have you joined against me? Why have you joined against me by giving Ben Yishai food and sword? Why have you waged war against me? Says Achimelech to Shaul, Mi b'cholav David. Who is it amongst all your servants like David? Neman v'chasan Melech is a son of the king. He's your most loyal servant. The only reason we gave him, we thought he was on your side. We thought he was absolutely the most loyal servant. Ki We don't know anything about this rebellion, about this war between you and David. What we did was completely innocent. And that was absolutely true. Because when David ran away, no one knew at that point that Shaul was really attempting to kill his son-in-law. And when David came to Nov, the city of Konim, they welcomed him as the king's son-in-law, and they innocently, properly, 
gave him food and beverage and etc. But when Shaul <coughs> accused Achimelech of this, and Achimelech agreed, he said he was innocent, but he, they did it. <coughs> the king said, Most Thomas Achimelech Atavacha, you Achimelech will die. But not just you, your entire city. And Shaul sent out messengers to kill out the city of Nov. He appointed at the head of them Doeg. And in fact, the Pasuk tells us that the entire city of Kohanim was killed out, man, woman, and child slaughtered. Great Kedoshim, holy, holy Jews were murdered because Shaul recognized that they supported his enemy David and they were killed out. In the end, this was one of the major tragedies for the Jewish people. Number one, an entire city of righteous, holy Jews were killed out. In the end, Doeg lost this world and the world to come. The Mishnah in Sanhedrin tells us he's amongst those people who have no chalik in the world to come. He's considered the worst sort of Russia. And, and additionally, Shaul and his sons were killed because of this event. And the Gemara concludes that Lashon Hara kills three people. The one who said it, meaning Doeg, came to Shaul to speak the words that he spoke. It kills him. The one who accepts it, namely Shaul, accepted it. And the one who it's said about, namely Nov Iraconim, you see the damage that Lashon Hara brings, you see that it kills the speaker, the one who's spoken about, and the one who accepts it. And that's the stories as it's brought in the Novi, as it's brought in Chazal. And let's start analyzing this carefully, because I think we'll learn quite a number of halachas from this that are very important. We defined Lashon Hara in the previous sessions, exactly as the Rambam says, Lashon Hara are words that hurt, words that damage. If I tell over words that spread, and as a result of those words, it causes plony a damage to his body, to his financial position, to his stature, to his reputation, that's Lashon Hara. Words that hurt, words that damage. I tell you Ruvain is a lousy businessman. I tell you Shimon is dishonest. I tell you stories about this one or that one, that damages their reputation, their standing, that's Lashon Hara. And the Torah says, It's a losa say in the Torah. But let's start with the first problem with this story that we've just mentioned. What Doeg was doing doesn't seem to be Lashon Hara at all. He didn't say that Nov did something wrong. As a matter of fact, according to what they did, they did the best thing they could imagine. The son-in-law of the king comes to them, they help him out. So it doesn't sound like this is Lashon Hara. And in fact, it's not. However, Chazal tell us it's still within that losa say of losay lech rachel ba'mecha. It's not lashon hara; it's rechilus. <clears throat> the Rambam defines rechilus as follows: If I say to you, Ploni, someone else said this about you, Ploni tried to do this to you, and Ploni tried to or will do this to you, that is rechilus. And lashon hara is if I tell you something negative about Ruvain. That's Lashon Hara. And Rechilus is, if I tell you that Ruvain tried to harm you, Ruvain spoke badly about you, and the Torah says, Don't be a peddler in your nation. Included in that is Lashon Hara. Lashon Hara is, if I tell you Ruvain is, and I degrade him, I put him down. But included in that same, don't be a talebearer, don't be a peddler in your nation, is if I tell you, this is what Ruvain tried to do to you, and this is what Ruvain said about you. It's not Lashon Hara, it's Rechilus, but it's still included in that very same Losasei. 
And the very real distinction between Lashonara and Rechilas has to do with the nature of the speech. Lashonara means I tell you about someone else and my words put that person down, damages that person. Rechilas is that I come to you with a story that someone else did something to you, someone spoke badly about you, someone tried to do something to you, explains the Chavetz Chaim that in a very real way, Rechilis is far worse. Because what Rechilis does is automatically creates hatred and creates sinner. Because when you find out that Ruvain spoke badly about you, Ruvain attempted to do something to you, obviously your nature is that you're going to feel slighted, you're going to feel hurt, likely you're going to want to seek revenge, because that's just human nature. And while Lashon Hara is horrific, Rechilis is as bad, probably worse. And what Doeg did was exactly that. He spoke Rechilis. But the point is that Rechilis is forbidden, and it's fully in the Isra Torah, even though that which I tell you about Ploni has nothing wrong with it. Meaning to say, when Doeg came to Shaul, According to what they did, there was nothing wrong with what they did. The city of Konim thought that David was the son-in-law of the king. They did what's right. They did what's proper. It's not Lashon Hara in the sense they didn't do something wrong. Nevertheless, because it creates hatred and because it creates sinner, it's still in the category of Rechilas. And if I tell you that someone did something, said something about you, even if that which they said was correct and proper when they said it, if I say it to you, this is what they did to you, this is what they tried to do, this is what they said about you, it creates hatred, and because of that, the Torah says, and it's fully forbidden. And let's take a practical example of this in our world. Let's imagine for a minute that you need a graphic artist, and you ask me about so-and-so. You know that so-and-so has worked for me in the past, and you ask me, does she do good work? So I tell you, listen, I'll be honest with you, I wasn't that happy with her work, and I, I think you could do better. Now, what you've done and what I've done is absolutely permitted. You came to me and asked me a question. You were considering hiring somebody, and you explained to me that you're asking Lito Ellis, you need information about this person, not because you want me to speak badly about someone, but because you need to know about this person so you're not damaged and you're not hurt. What you're doing is you're seeking information, you're not seeking to malign, you're not seeking to debase another Jew. You're seeking information led to Ellis, and it's absolutely permitted. What I did is also permitted. You asked me a question led to Ellis, and I'm telling you, she's not the best artist. The reason I'm telling you is not because I want to put it down. I don't want to embarrass her. I don't want to hurt her business. I'm telling you so that you're not damaged. What you did was right, what I did was right, and everybody's fine. Until what happens is, this woman calls you up and says, so tell me, why is it that you didn't hire me? And you say to her, I'll tell you the truth. I was considering hiring you, and I wanted to. But I asked Rabbi Schaefer whether you do good work or you don't do good work. He said you could do better. Now, you didn't really say anything wrong. You didn't say I did anything usher, because the truth is, what I did was proper. I'm obligated to help you, so I did what's proper. And yet that is a classic case of Rechilis. Why? Because what she hears is that someone said her work isn't good, her work isn't up to par, and it creates hatred, and it's fully in the losasei of loselech rochobamecha. Even though, according to what you said, I didn't do anything wrong, but you're telling her that someone said something about her negative, and someone did something to her, that's fully in the losasei of loselech rochel, 
And again, that's exactly what Doeg did. They didn't do anything wrong. Oh, but it sure did cause hatred and murder and etc. And therefore, it's fully in the Losase. Now, as we mentioned by Lashon Hara, it's a full love in the Torah. It is absolutely as forbidden as a cheeseburger, as wearing shatnas. It's a full losase in the Torah, and therefore it carries with it all of the halachas of a losase. And the halacha in Shulchan Aruch is that I'm obligated to give up all of my money not to violate a losase. So explains the Chavetz Chaim, let's say I'm in a situation where someone says to me, who did this? And let's say I know. Let's say it's my boss. And my boss says to me, who did this? And I happen to know. Now, if it's Lato'elis, if it will serve a good purpose, let's say the boss can protect himself, or the boss you know, can make good, or whatever it may be, so obviously my telling him is good, and my telling him is a mitzvah. But let's assume it's not the case. Let's assume the boss was at a social gathering, and someone maligned him, someone happened to say a bad thing about him, I happen to have been there, I happen to heard it, and he says to me, who was the guy? And let's assume there is no toelis, there is no positive result, because all that's going to happen is it's going to create machlokas. In that case, explains the Chavetz Chaim, I'm obligated to lose my job, be without pranasa, because the halacha is, you have to give up every penny you have not to violate a losasei, and it's a full prohibition of full isra of the Torah. Surely, explains the Chavetz Chaim, what happens is, in normal situations, it's nowhere near as serious as a boss telling you who said it and you're losing your job. But what happens very commonly is something that's very similar. Someone comes to you and says, what did so-and-so say about me? Meaning he happened to have seen me talking to that person, and he'll say to me, so tell me, what did he say about me? Come on, what, what does he think about me? What does he really hold? What does he really feel? Now again, if there's a positive purpose, if there's some to Ellis, you're allowed to ask, I'm allowed to answer. But let's assume there isn't. So that's exactly the situation. If I tell you what Plony said, and if I say over to you, assuming it's a negative issue, I violate the full say. And as a matter of fact, the Chavetz Chaim says that what do you do if you're in a situation where someone asks you, what did so-and-so say about me? And you know it's negative. He says the halacha is... If you can get out of it with just saying, oh, innocent sort of thing, you try to. But if you have no other choice, Allah is you're allowed to lie. You're allowed to make up an entire total fabrication because this is one of the situations you're allowed to lie. Not to speak is considered something for peace. And therefore, if someone asks you, what did so-and-so say about me? What was his opinion about me? The Allah is if you can get out of it without lying, you should try. But if you have no other choice, you make up a total fabrication, that's the halacha. And in fact, the Chavetz Chaim explains there's a tremendous reward for not speaking rechilas. Just as we saw in Lashon Hara, that ain't malach no, no single malach, no single creation could imagine this reward that a person has for keeping his mouth closed by Lashon Hara. Same thing by rechilas, because again, the Torah considers it a very egregious and very serious iser. Another point that's important to focus on, just as we said by Lashon Hara, it's not speech, it's communication that the Torah is makbid on. Meaning to say, if I let you know that Ruvain did something to you, said something about you in speech, obviously that's in the category of Lashon Rachel, it's in the category of Rechilas. 
But what if I write it in a letter? What if I send you an email? And what if I write a blog and in it I let you know these facts? It's absolutely, totally within the same losasi. The Torah says don't be a talebearer, Don't be a peddler. The Torah didn't say don't do it with your mouth. The Torah said don't do it. There are many, many methods to communicate. You can, you can communicate by hinting, by winking. You can communicate by text and by putting blogs up. Any method that you bring the word to the other person, that's communication and it violates the losase. And again, because we live in a very modern world where things happen online very quickly, it's imperative to be even more careful because email is 100% the same as speech. It's Lashon Hara, if it's something about someone that ruins his reputation or damages him, it's Rechilis, if I tell you about someone else, it's fully and exactly as speech. And I want to share with you an interesting example because a lot of times we don't realize where Rechilis comes into play. Let's imagine for a minute that there was a board that was voting on a certain issue. There's a board voting, should they approve this contract, should they not approve this contract? And let's assume for a minute that the contract was uh, was rejected, decided not to go ahead with it. And I come out of the board meeting, and I call over to you after, and I say to you, you know, I know you wanted this contract to go through. I know it would have made a big, big difference to your business. And I want you to know something. I was on your side. I was on your side, but what could I do? I was outvoted. And explains to Chaim, that is Rechilas. Why? Because what I did just did was, I threw the other board members under the bus. What I just said was, I was on your side, I would have voted for you, but those guys voted against you. Now what they did was nothing wrong, they felt it was better not to, they have every right to do that, but when I tell you that they voted against you, even though they've done nothing wrong, I'm telling you words that will cause you to hate them, I'm telling you they did something negative to you, and even though they did nothing wrong, that's fully in the say of Rechilis. So, obviously, in the story from the Nach, what Doeg did was forbidden. He was jealous, angry at Dovin and he went to kill. He thought he would cause a lot of trouble. He didn't, I'm not, I don't know if he knew that the entire city would be killed out because of it, but he certainly did something malicious, damaging, to tell over what the city of Nov did, and it's clear that he spoke Rechilis, and it's clear that it was also for him to do. But if you think about it, there are times when Rechilis is permitted. And as we said by Lashon Hara, there are certain conditions when it's permitted. So too by Rechilis, there are many situations when it is permitted to speak Rechilis. explains the Chavetzayim that just like by Lashon Hara, what the Torah is concerned with over there is that I not malign, I don't damage the reputation of another Jew. The Torah forbids me to speak damaging words because the Torah obligates me to love another Jew, to take care of their needs, and to be a good friend to them. If I damage them with my words, obviously I'm doing the exact opposite. However, there are many situations when Lashon Har is permitted. If you ask me advice, you want to hire someone, and you're not sure are they reliable or not, in that case, you're asking me to Ellis for a good purpose, if I answer knowledgeably for the same purpose to help you out, then explain to time I'm not speaking words of damaging a person's reputation. I'm not speaking words of damaging. I'm speaking helpful words to you. Collaterally, it may cause him harm. It may cause him damage. But because my intention is good, my intention is proper, 
It doesn't define it as Lashon Hara, quite the opposite. It defines it as a mitzvah. Because again, as we mentioned in the last session, there's a lavlo, samar adam re'echa, I'm not allowed to sit back and watch you be damaged. It explains the Chavetz in a parallel way, so too is rechilus. Meaning to say, let's say I know someone did something to you, or someone's going to do something to you. I cannot sit by and watch. Why? I'm not allowed to sit back and watch another Jewish person be injured, whether it be physically, whether it be financially, whether it be embarrassment, or any sort of damage. I'm obligated to help them. So therefore, if I know that Ruvain is going to do something to you, I'm obligated to tell you. If I know that Ruvain did something to you, and you can undo the damage, you can get back the money, whatever it may be, again, I'm obligated to tell you. So in those situations, I'm not speaking rechilus, even though I'm telling you Ruvain did something to you, Ruvain said something to you, but because I'm doing it to Ellis, I'm doing it for a positive purpose, it's permitted. But much like we discussed by Lashon Hara, there are five requirements for that to happen. I can only tell you that Ruvain did this, said this, if I have these five requirements in place. Number one, I have to know for a fact that it really happened as I'm telling you. So let's take a good example. Let's imagine for a minute that Ruvain stole money from you. So if I want to tell you that he stole money from you, I have to be very certain that that's really what happened. Meaning to say maybe you owed him money previously, maybe he mistook it. I have to know with absolute veracity, with absolute vadaya, certainly that this was an act of stealing. Ruvain did it. <clears throat> Requirement number one is I have to know for a fact that it was in fact stealing. Number two, I can't exaggerate. I can't tell you it happened <clears throat> to a greater extent or more often or <clears throat> in a worse way than it happened. I have to be very literal and very exact. I can't exaggerate what he did. Number three, I have to intend for the good. I have to intend that this is something that will be good for you, meaning to say there will be many times when I will say these words, but my intentions aren't as pure as they seem. Let's say I have a fight with Ruvain. Let's say he and I have words or we've had bad blood between us. And when I'm coming to you, I'm really just enjoying the moment that I get to back get back at Ruvain, even though your intentions and listening are good, and even though this, these words have benefit for you, my intentions are to damage Ruvain, and that would make it rechilus. Even though it has a good for you, my intentions don't just color the action, they define the action. Again, let's look at Doeg. What Doeg was doing, in one sense, looked very good. He's helping out the king. The king is in a civil war with his son-in-law, and he's bringing information to the king that's very important to the king, namely that his enemy has been helped out by Nov, the city of Kohanim. If Doeg's intentions were pure, if he really felt that Nov were wicked and they helped the enemy of the king, what he would have been doing was a big mitzvah and he would have been rewarded for it. But because his intentions were not pure at all, quite the opposite, he was trying to get back at David, that's what made it quite the opposite, made it a very evil act. So requirement number three is my intentions have to be proper, have to be pure. Number four and five, as I mentioned, Lashonar will go through quickly now. We'll discuss them in future sessions. I, number four is I can't accomplish the same result in any other way. And number five, I can't cause more harm than if this was actually accepted in Bezdin. And again, these four and five we'll discuss in future sessions. So again, I'm allowed to and I'm obligated to tell you information that will help you. 
if I have these requirements met. Number one, I know it factually to be true. <clears throat> Number two, I can't exaggerate. <clears throat> Number three, I intend for the good. I can't accomplish these same results in any other way. And by my telling you, I'm not going to cause more damage than what happened to that person in Bezdin. If those five requirements are met, I'm allowed to tell you Ruvain did something, Ruvain said something, etc., because I'm not speaking Rechilis there. In that case, what I'm doing is absolutely permitted. And if you focus on this, it's a very powerful lesson because Doeg met all of these requirements. He really was there, except he had the wrong intention. And the difference between intention for the positive or intention for the opposite, in his case, was catastrophic. The difference between a mitzvah and the difference between an act that cost him this world and the world to come. Gomer says he lost his olam haza, he lost his olam haba, he was destroyed. Had he intended properly, it would have been a great act, because his intentions were negative, it was absolutely destructive. And therefore one has to be very careful when they have a situation to make sure that their intentions are proper. And explains the time sometimes it comes out to be a major nesayan. Let's assume for a moment that I know that Ruvain did you a disservice. And it happens to be that I want to tell you, to Ellis, to help you, but it also happens to be that I have a bone to pick with Ruvain, and I will greatly enjoy it. What do I do in that situation? If I don't tell you, I'm sitting back and watching you be harmed. If I do tell you, I will be speaking rechilas because I will be enjoying the moment and I will be, even though there's some benefit for you, but because I'm intending to harm Ruvain additionally with this, I'm speaking rechilas. Explains the Chavetz you can't just sit on the sidelines in that case. You have to be nizgaber, you have to work on yourself, get rid of the hatred in your heart for Ruvain, and I have to go to you and say it strictly with the intention of helping you, and that is a major nesayan. But I'd like to point out that Rechilis is something that kind of sneaks up on us even when we don't realize. You see, again, the definition of Rechilis is if I tell you Ruvain did something to you that's not good, he hurt you, he damaged you, he spoke badly about you. But if I tell you that story, it's Rechilis, even if that Ruvain didn't intend something bad, and it's Rechilis, even if I don't intend something bad when I say it. Let's say I'm just telling you a story. I come to you and say, Ruvain did something to you negative. He did something bad. He said something. And I don't really mean it to cause a machlokas in a fight. It's still 100% rechilas. And this surfaces in an interesting way. Let's take an, a common example. Let's imagine someone put in a new kitchen. And they tell you, so-and-so construction company put in the kitchen. And you happen to know that so-and-so construction is a firm company. And uh, you look at the kitchen and you realize that it's not really the best quality. And you say to the person, so tell me, what did you pay for it? And she says she paid such and such, and you realize that she got uh, ripped off. She paid a lot more money than she had to. The quality isn't that good. Now you're a good friend of hers. So what do you do? You tell her, you know, I can't believe it. They ripped you off. Well, look at the quality stuff, and look what they charge you. They did it. This is horrible. You could have gotten this much cheaper. You could have done much better. Now you're saying those words because you're a good friend, and you're saying those words to help her. And you're also speaking rechilas. Why? If it were a situation where she could get her money back, we could debate, it might be little Ellis. But in almost every one of these cases, A, she can't possibly get the money back because there is no exact market value that you could go to a judge and say, he charged me 18000 and and the market price is 12000 
there are so many variations, so many issues that there is no way to get the money back. Number two, who says you're right? Are you really that knowledgeable about kitchen cabinets? Are you that really knowledgeable about the marketplace? Do you really know? But even if you were right that it is sub-quality, it's not the best, and she paid too much, you're accomplishing nothing with your words. All you're doing is making her realize that so-and-so didn't give her good quality, didn't give her a good price, and you're causing her to hate so-and-so, and you're speaking rechilas. Now again, if there is a toelis, if let's say she were she didn't put the kitchen in yet, and should I go to this construction company or that, that's a fine situation, you're helping her. Or if she could go to that person and demand or ask for her money back, and she possibly would get it, again, that might be litoelis. But in the vast, vast majority of situations like this, that's not the case at all. A, she can't get a penny back. B, it's not even so clear. You don't know kitchen cabinets that well in construction that well that you really know the actual market price. The point is there's nothing accomplished other than creating hatred, and it's absolutely rechilas. But again, the point here is it's innocent sounding. But if you review a certain event that happened, if you go over with it and you explain to that person that so-and-so injured you, so-and-so damaged you, so-and-so didn't do you right, what you're doing is automatically you're speaking rechilas because when you reframe that event, reframe that situation, you're painting it in the light of Ruvain damaged you, Ruvain spoke badly about you, so it's 100% rechilas. Okay, so it's obvious that what Doeg did was wrong, and it's obvious that what Doeg did should have earned him a very healthy place in Gehenim, and because of him, an entire city of Konim was killed out, and that part's clear. But let's focus on the other side of the equation. The Gemara told us that three things happened here. The person who spoke Lashon Hara lost his Olam Haza and Olam Haba. The person spoken about, namely the Nov, were killed out. And the person who was Makabal, who accepted it, also was punished gravely. He and his children died because of it. The problem is, what did Shaul do that was wrong? Meaning to say, Shaul was in a war with David. Now you could tell me Shaul was mistaken, and really David wasn't his enemy, but now that we're here, where Shaul assumes that David is his enemy, someone comes and tells him that his enemy was supported by the city. My arch enemy has been helped out by Nov Irakonim. And what this person's intention in telling me is one thing, but what I've heard is absolutely for my benefit. What did Shaul do wrong? And the answer to this is that in terms of listening to the Lashon Hara, Shaul did nothing wrong. But the problem is, as we discussed in the last session, that there are three discrete issers. It is forbidden to speak Lashon Hara, it's forbidden to listen to Lashon Hara, and it's equally forbidden to be makabel. To accept those words as factual and as true is a separate isser. If you tell me that Ruvain did such and such, you violated speaking Lashon Hara. If I listened to it, I violated listening to Lashon Hara. But if I accept it as factual, as true... I've now put the nail in the coffin. I've now damaged Ruvain's reputation in a very real way. By being makabel, I'm the one who really accepts the damage, and the Torah obligates me not to accept it factually as true. If you tell me a negative report about Ruvain, I have to say he's a Jew, he has a cheskis kashas, he has a status of a kosher Jew, 
and I don't accept your negative reports. What Shaul did in terms of listening was absolutely fine. He's listening for good purpose. Maybe he could protect himself in the future from this city who might support his enemy. But the problem is that's not where Shaul stopped. Shaul sent Doeg and sent his soldiers to kill out the city of Nov. Clearly he accepted it as factual and as true. You don't kill innocent men, women, and children if you don't accept that they joined the enemy's camp. You see, when Doeg came to Shaul and told him that Nov, the city of Konim, helped his enemy, from that point forward, Shaul would have been allowed to accept it as a maybe. Listen, I don't know factually, I'm not sure, but I better guard myself. As we discussed by Gedalia, when he was told that Yishmal is out to kill him, he was allowed and should have suspected, he should have guarded himself, he should have put up soldiers to protect him. When Shaul heard the words that Nov helped David, there would be nothing wrong if from that moment on he was on top guard to make sure that Nov didn't harm him. But that's not what he did. He turned against the city and killed them out, man, woman, and child. What that means is he accepted as factual. That which this man is telling me now, I accept as a fact as if I saw it. And because it's as if I saw it, I'm now going to seek revenge and I'm going to kill them out. That is called Kabbalah Slashon And as we mentioned last time, in almost every situation, even if you're allowed to speak, even if you're allowed to listen, in almost every situation you're forbidden to be Makabalit. Accepting it is a much further degree, requires a much greater level of evidence, and in the vast majority of cases isn't permitted. And that's something that applies in many, many situations. And let's use a practical example of this. Let's imagine for a minute that I'm missing money. There's money stolen. It's clear, it's obvious that the money is stolen from me. I don't know who did it, but it's obvious that there's money missing. Okay, you come to me and tell me, I don't want to be the one to bring bad tidings. I just want to let you know, I know for a fact that Ruvain stole the money. Okay, now you are allowed to tell me that. Why? Because assuming that you know it, assuming that you saw it, and assuming you're not exaggerating, and assuming your intentions are for the good, you're helping me out. You're helping me because you're letting me know who did what to me so I could guard myself in the future. Maybe I could even figure out, you know, if it's really true, I could get the money back, etc. What you did is 100% mutter, permitted and a mitzvah. What I did by listening is also fine. I'm listening for my benefit. I don't want to hurt people. But you tell me Ruvain stole money. That's very important for me to know. I'm absolutely allowed to listen to what you're saying. But let's assume that you're a convincing person. And I say, oh my goodness, that Ruvain stole my money, that Ganev. And I go right to Ruvain and to his property and I steal back the money that he took from me. Meaning to say, he stole $1,000, I don't take a penny more. And I just go to his property and I take back the $1,000 that he stole from me. Well, the problem is that I was Makabal Rechilas. You see, if I go there and take money from him, that means I accept fully and factually that which you said is true. But I don't know it to be true. If we were in Beisden and two witnesses said they saw the act of stealing, Beisden would interrogate the witnesses. If they passed the muster, Beisden would say, yes, we accept the fact that Ruvain stole money. In that case, I'd be allowed to take the money back. But we're not in Beisden and you're not two witnesses. You're allowed to tell me because it's for the good, it's to protect me. I'm allowed to listen so that I could guard myself in the future. But if I go act on it now, I was makabalit, I accepted it, and I violated the Issa, the prohibition of being makabal rachilis, and I'm not allowed to act on it. 
I'm allowed to suspect for the future. If I were going to enter into a contract with you, I don't have to enter into it. If I was going to go into a new venture with you, I don't have to do it. But if I take money from you, what that means is I'm a Kabul that Lashonar accepted as true and I'm not allowed to. Any obligation that I have to you, I can't obviate either. And let's assume I owed you money. And you, and someone says to me, you stole money from me. I have to treat the debt that I have to you totally and completely as if it was because I don't know for a fact you stole money. I'm allowed to suspect for the future and that I'm not allowed to be macabre. And this becomes very, very difficult and becomes a major nesayan when the person who tells me this is someone who I implicitly trust. Let's imagine for a minute it's my brother, it's my father, it's my wife, somebody I really, really trust. And they tell me, I want you to know I was there and I saw it. And I was there and I saw him say, I heard him say these words. I saw him do this. And I know 100% true. And this person is telling me, I really believe. I'm allowed to suspect. I'm allowed to put myself on guard for the future. But I'm not allowed to act on it. And if they told me that you stole money from me, I'm not allowed to take money back. They told me you acted against me. I'm not allowed to be macabre. It has to remain in my mind. It could be. It might be. But I can't accept it as factually true. And this is a major sign and a very difficult situation to be in. And I want to deal with one more practical example of Rechilis because this happens more often than we realize. Let's imagine that I'm in business and I have a very good customer. In fact, 80% of my business is with this customer, one customer, and we have a multi-year contract and I'm set. And this, I produce goods, this customer buys it, we're good to go. Um, and then uh, one day I find out that uh, he's no longer there. No longer my, breaks the contract and uh, just no longer wants to deal with me at all. Now what really happened, I don't know about, but what really happened was that this customer thought to himself that maybe he could get a better price and better merchandise, whatever, and he went to my competitor. And let's give my competitor a name. We'll call him Shimon. And he went to Shimon and he said, you know, I'm looking for such and such services, such and such goods. Can you help me? So imagine Shimon um, says, okay, what are you looking for? And so this, uh, this person says, I need this and this and this. Now Shimon is unaware that I was the one who was supplying these services, these goods. And Shimon innocently enough says, offers a quote. And let's assume the quote is less than I was charging. And this customer decides, bye-bye me, and he goes over to Shimon. So needless to say, I don't really know what happened, but I go over to this customer and I say, so tell me, why uh, why'd you uh, suddenly leave me? And he says to me as follows, well, I'll be honest with you, I was at a trade show and Shimon approached me and I said, you know, uh, no, thank you, I'm really, I'm really very well set, I do business with Rabbi Schaefer, he's my source and I'm fine. But Shimon pressed me, he said, no, come on, I could give you better quality, I could give you better pricing, I could take better care of you and I'll tell you the truth. I wanted to stay with your rabbi, but, you know, he offered me such much of a better deal, I had no choice. And when this customer says this to me, in my mind, I say to myself, what a bum. We're both from Jews. And he goes over and steals my customer. And he goes over to steal it, to intentionally harm me, and I accept it as true. I, I don't say anything, I can act on it. But to be honest with you, I'm pretty upset at Shimon, and I think he's a pretty pretty real lowlife. And I just violated accepting Lashon Hara. The Chavetz Chaim explains in this case, and that's oftentimes exactly what happens. 
when I ask my customer, why did you leave? He's not going to make himself look bad. He's not going to say, I started shopping around. He's going to place the blame on someone else. And the point is, when he says to me, Shimon, undercut me, Shimon, whatever it might be, if I accept it to be true, I violated Kabbalah's Lashon Hara. And there are many, many situations in life when this happens, far more common than we realize. Let's quickly summarize what Doig did doesn't seem to be Lashon Hara. And it isn't. He did not speak anything bad about Nov. What Nov, the city of Conan, did was, was absolutely justified. What he did was Rechilis. <clears throat> Rechilis, by definition, means if I tell you Ruvain tried to do something to you, Ruvain said something against you, it causes you to hate Ruvain. <clears throat> don't be a talebearer, don't be a peddler in your nation, <clears throat> explains the Rishonim, explains the Gemara. <clears throat> Included in that is the Issa of Rechilis. Lashon Hara is if I tell you something bad about Ruvain. Rechilis is if I tell you Ruvain tried to do something to you. <clears throat> Rechilis creates hatred, creates animosity, creates machlokis, and it's an Isra Torah. <clears throat> what Doeg did was he said something they did was, in their mind, fine and well, but the result was, obviously, Shaul hated them, and the result was a tremendous tragedy that happened to them. The point being, in our world, there are many, many examples in many situations, if I let you know by reframing a situation, you bought that kitchen and I reframe it in a way that you now recognize you were injured, you were hurt, I have spoken Lashonara about that manufacturer, about that installer, about that salesman. If you had a situation with someone and you thought what they did was fair and well, but I explained to you that really they, they weren't being fair to you and really you're getting the short end of the stick, what I'm doing is I'm speaking rechilas. Again, if it's for a positive purpose, if there's a toelis and I meet the five requirements, it's permitted. But so many times we help our friends out by letting them view things differently, view the situation differently, and what we're doing is horribly damaging, and it's rechilas. Many times in families this happens all the time. A brother does something to another brother, and Ruvain is fine with it until Levi explains to him that it really was wrong what he did, and he's doing out of concern for his brother, he's trying to be helpful, but by reframing that picture in a different way, what he's doing is he's speaking Rechilas. It's a full losa say in the Torah, I'm forbidden to do it, I have to give up all of my property, all of my wealth, not to do it. And there are many times when we ask people, what did so-and-so say about me, <clears throat> what did so-and-so do, what we're doing is we're inviting them we're begging them to speak Rechilis, and it's a horrible situation. Rechilis is permitted, as is Lashon Hara, if it's Latoelis, if you meet the five requirements. Number one, I have to know it factually to be true. Number two, I can't exaggerate. Number three, I have to intend for the good, and my intention has to be specifically to help the person. I also can't accomplish the same good without telling the Rechilis I can't accomplish it in any other way. And the fifth requirement is I can't cause more damage than what happened in Bezdin. So, for instance, if I know that you're a hothead, and if I tell you that Ruvain stole money from you, and I know that you're going to accept it to be true, and right away you're going to go and take that money back, explains Chavetz Chaim, it's forbidden for me to tell you. Why? Because I know that you're going to accept it. Number one, I'm being machshul you, I'm helping you be makabal, except Rechilis, which you're not allowed to do. Number two, I'm causing much more damage to you, then what happened in Beisden? If I walked into Beisden as an Eid Echad, as one witness, Beisden wouldn't accept me. So if I know for a fact that you're going to react to these words, 
If I tell you that Ruvain stole money from you, Ruvain hurt you, if I know that you're the kind of person who's right away going to take action, maybe you'll confront Ruvain, maybe you'll whatever, bring out the situation, explains the Chavetz Chaim, it's absolutely forbidden for me to tell you, and there's no heter in that situation. What Doeg did was horrific, he spoke rechilas. What Shaul did was also horrific, he was makabalit. And because he was makabalit, he and his children ended up dying, suspecting is mutter. If someone tells you for a good purpose, you're allowed to suspect it, accepting isn't. And these halachas are very, very difficult. A person has to learn them well and then think hard about how to apply it in life. May Hashem guard us and Hashem help us do just that. You've been listening to Guard Your Tongue, a practical, engaging guide to the laws of Shmiras Halashon. This is one of many Shmuz series. The Shmuz needs your help to continue its vital work. We have no major donors and are supported by people who recognize the value of the message and want to help us get it out to as wide an audience as possible. Please go to theshmooze.com donate section where you can be a part of making this dream a reality. That's www.theshmuz.com. The schmooze.com.